chapter 27, we're going to begin with verse number 15, and we're going to read 12 verses together from the Gospel of Matthew, and then we'll read a short passage from the Gospel of John. If I can have you, we'll stand one last time. We'll do this, though, in reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse number 15. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse number 15. It says, Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Verse 23, And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Verse 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I ask for your help today. Lord, there's a great multitude of people gathered here, and I praise you for each and every one of them that have taken the time on a, a beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, I know that there are those who have a lot of things on their mind, a lot of worries, a lot of concerns, a lot of busyness this time of year. Father, I pray, though, for the next couple of minutes that we do our very best to put those things aside, and Lord, let our minds be touched with your word and with your truths. I ask that if there are some in this room today that have never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, if they've never come to that place of salvation in their lives, that today would be the day that they trust Christ. And Father, I pray for those that are yours, that have accepted your Son as their Savior, I ask that today their hearts would be, would be burdened and would be brought closer to you. Father, I ask that our hearts would beat as Christ beat, and Lord, that our vision would be what he saw and what he had in mind. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew, here, of course, we are leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. A few weeks we'll be celebrating Easter and always a wonderful time. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But this morning... While we will talk about the resurrection and we'll talk about the crucifixion, I really want to focus on one man. And this man is, is known, he's talked about some, but we're going to really focus the whole message on, uh, based on Pilate. And I want to talk about him this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to John chapter 18 and verse 27. John in chapter 18 and verse 27. In this 
to a certain extent, is almost the same situation we read in Matthew chapter 27. There's just one little extra excerpt, so to speak, to the story of Jesus speaking to Pilate and Pilate speaking back to Christ. In verse number I'm sorry, 37, forgive me. John chapter 18, verse number 37. I told you 27. The Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate was the one who delivered Jesus to be crucified. The Jews desired Jesus to be crucified, but the Jews did not condemn in this type of manner. They were not able to put Jesus on a cross. The Romans had to. And Pilate was the man who gave the permission for that. You need to understand that. This morning I want to look at three things that are worth standing for. In this life, there are things that are worth standing for. There are things that are worth giving all and losing all for. There are things that are worth losing friends over. There are things that are worth losing family over. There are things that are worth losing face. And there are things that are worth losing business to keep what you hold dear. I will say this. What you stand for may seemingly be a lost cause. It may seemingly be a waste of time, but if it's worth standing for in good times, it's also worth standing for in the bad. And folks, I think we've forgotten that. I think as long as we don't have to suffer persecution, we'll stand. As long as we don't have to deal with adversity, we'll stand. As long as the majority of people are for us, we'll stand. But this morning I want to give you three things, and there are three things that are going to come directly from the life of Pilate here that are worth standing for. If you've got your Bibles in Matthew chapter 27, we'll shoot back to John chapter 18 in a moment. But in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate in verse 22 saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What a question. What a question to be asked. And this man, Pilate, had received ample warning. He had talked to Jesus himself, was well aware, as John's epistle tells us, there was no, found fault, no fault found in him at all. There was nothing that Pilate could say, this man is worthy of death and worthy of crucifixion, save the Jews demanded it. This morning, I want to say what we ought to stand for first is Christ. We ought to stand for Christ. And Jess, I'm going to jump over, change mics on you. 
You see, Pilate asked the question, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? What a question to ask. What a question to be uttered by it from a man's lips, and yet it was. Pilate said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And this morning, friend, we need to stand for Christ. You know, salvation is not in a plan. Salvation is in a person. You, you understand that, don't you? You see, salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, the person of Jesus Christ is under attack. I talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night in our Bible study. The name of Christ, my friend, is being opposed. And it's not being opposed by the godless and the wicked of today. It's being opposed by the religious crowd of today. You see, salvation is in Christ. And if Christ is not uplifted and the truth of Christ is not held to, there is no salvation. If we do not believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again physically, my friend, there is no salvation. Do you understand that? I mean, without Christ being who God said He was, there is no way for a man to be born again. And I thank God that today I believe in a Jesus who sacrificed His body on an old rugged cross. And I'm so glad that my Savior was put into a tomb. And I'm so thankful that that tomb was only a temporary holding place. See, that's who Jesus is. And friend, if we denounce that, if we do not believe that, if we allow that to come under attack and we allow that truth to be changed, we are allowing salvation to be taken away. I talk to many people and one of the excuses as far as not accepting Christ that I hear multitudes of times is, but I've always believed. But I've always believed, and friend, that's not the case. You've not always been saved. You are not born again until you personally receive Him as your Savior. You may grow up in church. You may go through catechism classes. You may be baptized as an infant. You may believe in a God. You may believe in religion. You may believe in all sorts of things. But until you personally receive Christ, you're not born again. The illustration I'll use and use this about a month ago on a Sunday night. And I think it, I think it, it helps to comprehend what this is dealing with. In our culture today, we have many couples that instead of getting married legally, they live together, they cohabitate. And while they love one another, and they may have children together, and they may enjoy a lot of the bounties and blessings of marriage, they are not married in the eyes of God. You see, they're not married until they make a legal pact one with another. Until they stand in front of an altar and with a pastor or even with a justice of the peace. And until he says, will you take her to be your wedded wife? And that woman answers, I do. And until that man is asked, will you have her to be your lawfully wedded wife? And he says, I do. And he says, you may kiss the bride. They're not married. There's no marriage that's taken place. And while they may have all sorts of things that pertain to marriage, they're not legally married in the sight of the law or in the sight of God. And this morning, I want you to understand, you say, well, well I grew up in church, so did I. You say, well, well, well I, I, I've memorized a lot of verses, so have I. Uh, I, I, I learned how to pray, I, so have I. But I'm going to tell you this, those things do not make a man or a woman born again. What makes a man or a woman born again is when they come to God as a lost sinner. And they understand the terrible price on their sin. It's separation from God for eternity in a place called the lake of fire. We refer to it as hell. 
And when a person comes to God in that manner and he sees what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary and what he did when he rose from the grave and until I'm willing to accept him as my Savior, I'm not born again. I can be in church on a faithful basis. I can put money in the offering box. I can be a greeter. I can be an usher. I can be a deacon. I can be all sorts of things. But friend, unless I've accepted Christ, I have no salvation. And today, Christians, we need to stand for Christ. It's amazing to me that we'll ban the name of Jesus, yet promote the name of Allah. I'm dumbfounded at it. Ten and a half years ago, our country was attacked by men who claimed Allah as their God. Folks, do you know that Jesus is the source of peace? Do you know that Jesus preached tolerance? Do you know that Jesus preached righteousness? You say, it's amazing to me. Folks, people that stand for something, everybody thinks that they want to condemn everyone else. That's not the case. Man, as far as homosexuality is concerned, I've, I've witnessed to homosexuals. I've shared with homosexuals the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not my job to condemn them, my friend. It's not. My job is to share with them a Savior. Now, do I think that lifestyle is right? Absolutely not. Do I agree with it? By the grace of God, I never will. But my job is not to to condemn them. My job is not to look down upon them. My job is to share the gospel because the gospel is what's going to save that individual. Do you understand that? Folks, it's the person of Jesus Christ that's come under attack today. It's the person of Christ. Our military chaplains have been challenged not to pray in the name of Jesus. You can pray in any other name of any other God that you desire, but don't you mention the name Jesus. That's the United States of America. Our public schools have made it possible for Muslim young people to go and to pray seven times a day. They've given them places where they can go and worship their God. Yet if a young person stands up in front of a group of his classmates and prays in the name of Jesus, he is instantly sent to the principal's office and he is threatened with a lawsuit. person of Christ is under attack today we need to stand for Jesus do we understand that it's under attack it's a name that is above every name a name that one day at the very announcement every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father in Romans chapter 10, we have a verse that I was saved off of. Ten, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But can I tell you what Romans chapter 10 and verse number 11 says? It says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And today in our culture, we're ashamed of the name Jesus. Friend, I'm not gonna, I, I don't think we ought to go out there and beat people over the heads with the Bible. I don't think we ought to go out there and try to be obnoxious. I don't think we ought to go out there and try to cause problems. I just think we ought to stand for Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? I mean, we need to stand for the name that is above every name. We need to stand for the name that I was saved on. And my friend, if you were born again, you were saved on. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man can be saved except the name of Jesus. And we've got to stand for Christ. Secondly, in John chapter 18 and verse number 38, Jesus has just gotten done telling Pilate that for this cause came I into the world and that I should bear witness unto the truth and everyone that is of the truth 
heareth my voice. And Pilate looks at Jesus and he says this, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews. And he saith unto them, I find no fault at all. The second thing we need to do today is we need to stand for truth. We need to stand for truth. What is truth? What is truth? What defines truth? Am I the one who defines truth? Am I the one that explores all the possibilities and defines truth? Thank God, no, I'm not. What a sorry state we'd be in if that was the case. You know that? You know every one of you would be Green Bay Packer fans if I was the source of truth? You would be. Do, do, do you know every, see, I could go into a whole lot of things, but, but folks, there's a whole lot of things that I would per- call truth that are not true, thank God. There's a whole lot of opinions that I hold to that are not truth. I just got, anybody else got opinions? Anybody ever had an opinion that's a little off the wall? You folks say, no, not me, not me. Man, let me ask your wives, guys. Let me come down there and say, honey, has your husband ever had a crazy cockeyed idea? Of course he has. So men are full of. Folks, I'll tell you this morning, number one, truth is Christ, but truth is the Word of God. Truth is the Word of God. That's that's what we need to stand for. We need to stand for truth. Pilate looked at Jesus Christ and said, what is truth? And he turned around and walked out frustrated. Jesus Christ is truth. The Word of God is truth. John chapter 17 and verse number 17 says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Truth is what we say we base our lives on. Truth is what heals a broken home. Truth is what fixes a rebellious heart. Truth is what reclaims a wayward sinner. Truth is what delivers and saves and redeems. Truth is what I hold in my hand this morning. Truth is what tells me I am saved because I received Christ. Truth is what keeps me straight. Truth is what keeps my marriage strong. Truth is what will turn my kids out for God. Truth truth is what will get you through the storm. Truth is what will help you through the valley of the shadow of death. Truth is what will help you as you deal with the loss of a loved one. Some people say, well, well, Pastor, what I want to hold on to is love, and I'm all for love, but can I tell you that you don't know what love is unless you have truth? Truth is what defines love. In the Word of God, I learned that that true love is a choice. Do you understand that? In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commended or showed His love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ, my God said, I love you. Love is a choice, and I learned that from the Word of God. That's truth. Truth is what shows me what love is. By the way, truth also shows me that love is an action, because when God loved us, He showed it to me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How do I know what love is? Truth. How do I know what mercy is? Truth. How do I know what grace is? Truth. We need to stand for truth. Truth is what will keep me through the pain and hurt and depression that I fight. Truth is what will guide me over to the other side. Without truth there is no hope. Without truth, there is no salvation. Without truth, there's no such thing as heaven or hell. Without truth, there's no reason to live right or wrong. Without truth, there's no motivation to succeed or to fail. Without truth, there's no self-respect. There's no reason to work and provide. Without truth, it's all pointless. That's why we need to stand for truth. That's why we need to stand for truth. Pilate looked at Jesus Christ, the epitome of truth. 
and said, what is it? What is it? Christian, today we need to stand for truth. In our schools and in our workplaces, people are saying, what is truth? Are you standing for it? Our friends and our family say, what is truth? Are you standing for it? You see, the Bible told us that we ought to be ready to give every man an answer. Truth. Truth. You say, well, they say, well, I don't believe in that. I heard an interview the other day, and it was uh, Kirk Cameron, and he was being asked about homosexuality. He gave an answer. And folks, can I tell you, what? all we need to say is God says it's sin. That's it. Sin is sin. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. That's truth. I can, do you, that's what I love about the Word of God. People want to get mad at me, and I say, man, go get mad at God. It ain't me. I'm just the messenger. Amen? By the way, God can handle that. If I try to bear everyone's burdens and say, oh, they, they're against me. No, no, they're not against me. Jesus told me that they're against him. And I just pass the buck, <laughs> okay? I mean, I just say, Lord, I'm trying to stand for truth, but it's not my truth I'm standing for. It's yours. You have to deal with this, God. I'm taking a stand for righteousness. I'm taking a stand for truth. Folks, it's amazing to me how we've walked away from what is right and how we've walked away from what God says is holy and just. We need to learn to stand for truth. Hey, Christian, today, you need to stand for truth. You say, but, but pastor, it's hard, man. They, they make funny. Uh, stand for truth. Stand for truth. You say, but man, it's difficult. I don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't like being the only one out there. It's going to take someone who's willing to stand. It's the number one, stand for Christ. It's the number two, stand for truth. Number three, I don't know quite how to put this into words. I'm going to read verse number 24 of Matthew in chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. We need to stand for what God has called us to do. We need to stand for our accountability. I don't know how to put that into the right words. I, I, I agonized over this point as I was finishing up last night and trying to come up with a nifty title for that. But i got to tell you right now, see what Pilate did was wrong. What Pilate did was sin. Some people say, well, well, Pilate had no choice. That may be true. But Pilate should have stood for what was right. You said Pilate couldn't have stopped the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He came to die. You're right, but he should have stood for truth. He should have stood for Christ. He should have stood accountable for his decisions. And my friend, one of these days, you and I will stand in front of our God, and I pray that you do it as a born-again Christian. Please don't stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ as, as a lost person, condemned because you never accepted the Lord. But one day, I'm going to stand in front of my God, and I don't want my God to look at me and say, you betrayed me in front of others. Hey, Pilate. Pilate's wife sent him a message and said, Pilate, please, this, this, I, I, have, I have been just tormented in dreams about this man. This man is a just man. This man is a good man. This man is a holy man. And Pilate plays a political game. And if you study the historical aspects of this, Pilate and Herod became friends because of the crucifixion of Jesus. He used 
his power to unjustly crucify a man so he could politically gain some prestige. See, Pilate was too much of a politician. Pilate was too socially correct. Pilate said, what do you want, people? I mean, multiple times, and we don't have time to look at this today, but multiple times Pilate came out to them and said, there's nothing wrong with him. There's no reason to crucify him. There is nothing except your law, your rules. But as far as Roman law is concerned, he's innocent. You see, we need to stand for what God has called us to do. No, Pilate could not have stopped Christ from being killed. But he could have done what he was able. Maybe what God has called you to do is to stand when no one else will. Maybe what God has called you to do is to fight for what is perceived as a lost cause and a waste of time. I read a story this week. A man by the name of Thomas Hooker. Thomas Hooker lived in 16th century England. A bloody time. Christians, when they were caught and discovered, they were condemned. And they were not put in a prison cell, folks. Most times they were killed for their faith. The preferred method of punishment was to be burned at the stake. Thomas Hooker was in his prison cell under the sentence of death. He was going to die the next day. And there was a man who was in prison with him for the same thing. And he said, Thomas, he said, you have to help me. He said, Thomas, I know tomorrow you're going to be put to the stake. And I know that unless you recant of your faith, that you'll die a slow, painful death. If they recanted, they'd give him a quick death. The man said, Thomas, just before you die, I got to know if it's worth it. I got to know if there'll be peace in your heart. I got to know if he'll still comfort you in that moment. He said, Thomas, tomorrow I can see where you're going to be burned. Terrible form of punishment to watch and to see your fate as they did it to other men and women. Terrible, cruel. But Thomas said, I will. I will. The man said, Thomas, would you please... Just before you die, would you raise your hands over your head? He said, if you do that, I'll know. Thomas Hooker was led out the next morning, and he was taken to that stake, and he was chained to that stake, wrapped chains around the waist so they could not, could not get away. The fire was lit, and it began to consume the kindling and the brush and the sticks and the logs that were stacked there. And it began to touch his body, and no sound uttered forth. After what had seemed an eternity, the flames began to touch his body. After a certain amount of time had passed, everyone thought that he was dead and lifeless. And the story goes in the book I read, I can't verify this, but, but the story I read, pretty factual, as everyone was almost determined that he was gone, slowly he lifted his hands to heaven three to, to, to heaven. 
and he clapped his hands three times. And with that, his body fell limp. And that man had his answer. See, friend, I don't know what you're called to. I don't pretend to understand what God has for us, but maybe we just need to stand for what God has put in our lives. You say, Lord, I don't understand it. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know I have to deal with it. God, I, 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 it's a burden that I bear every day. Maybe you just need to learn to stand through it. I, I don't know if God's going to deliver you in this life. I will tell you this. When that man's body went limp, he opened his eyes in heaven. You say, but, but pastor, I want, I want a victorious ending. I'll give you one, folks. The Reformation came to England, and people by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands were saved because men like Thomas Hooker said, I'll stand and I'll sacrifice my body for my God. Maybe God has called you to stand so our children won't have to be persecuted to come to church. Maybe God has called you to stand so they won't have to be persecuted to believe in the definition and sanctity of marriage. Maybe God has called you to stand in a gap for a purpose, to turn some poor sinner to Him. There's a story told of a, a little girl in Romania during the 1960s, during the, the, the Soviet era. Little Valia was in class. And these young people were forced to join a Soviet group called the Pioneers. Some of you probably remember this. I mean, you're born during, they lived during that era. The little Valia was brought up and multiple times they would try to force her to, to join this Pioneers group and they, she refused. She refused. Finally, the teacher said, Valia, she said, Legal, he said, legally, I have the right to replace your parents. He said, I have the legal authority to do this. He said, I am now going to read for you the pledge to join this group. He called her up and made her stand there and took the scarf and tried to put it on her. And as he began to read this, this, this creed, so to speak, she began to pray. And as she finished praying, she lifted her eyes to heaven and began to sing a hymn. She was beaten for it. A child, 12 years old. And I wondered, why didn't we do that when they took prayer out of our schools? Why didn't our parents say, son, you, you pray to Jesus Christ publicly? You don't pray hidden in a corner. You don't pray hiding. You pray in public. You pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you pray out loud to Jesus. We've learned how to hide our faith. We've learned how to be covert operatives for Christ. And what Christ needs today is some people who say, I'll stand. I'll stand for what He's given me. I'll stand for my decisions. I'll stand for His principles. I will take accountability for what you've put in my place, God. We have kowtowed to the wicked too long. And folks, I'm not for lifting up a sword and fighting a war. I'm for standing and saying, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. Number one, stand for Christ. Number two, stand for truth. And number three, let me put it this way. Take accountability for your decisions. 
You see, our world is growing ever darker. Our country is growing ever oppressive to what we stand talking about today. Folks, you do understand it. You know that in the last 20 years that our ability to be born-again Christians has shrunk. We're under attack. And, and let me say this, we're not under attack. He's under attack. Don't take it personal like that. He's under attack. And I would ask you this morning, as we look at Pilate, Pilate said, what shall I do then with Jesus? Stand for him, Pilate. What shall I do? What is truth? Truth is the man standing in front of you. Truth is the word of God that is divinely inspired and that has been preserved to us today. And then thirdly, Pilate, Pilate, there's a man standing here. We seek to crucify him, Pilate, and he walks over to a basin. He puts his hands in it as a, as a gesture of wiping the guilt off of his hands. He pulls his hands out of that basin and says, I've washed my hands of the whole situation. And then he utters the words, See ye to it. And the next verse tells us he delivered Jesus Christ to be crucified. See, some of us today have said, well, Pastor, that's, man, I, 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 would, I, would, I would hate to put anything in jeopardy for Christ. You're right. That's where we are. I mean, I, I, I don't want to mess with any, any relationships. I don't want to mess with any popularity. I don't want to, I mean, I, I would never want to go down that path. Folks, it's time that some Christians did go down that path and stood and said, I will be that one. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 22, it says that he sought for a man among them to stand in the, and make up the hedge, stand in the gap, and he found none. None. And I pray that's not a story or a verse that could be put in 2012 in the United States of America. Will he find some who will stand? Say, Pastor, I'm a nobody. So are these people. There's a story that I read about a pastor in the same, same time era as this young lady. He was over in Russia in the 1960s. He was a pastor of a small congregation, a, a house church, and that's how they had to meet. There was no ability to have a building such as we have. There was no way they could do that. And this pastor, and I can't pronounce his name, he had been imprisoned. And they put him in a, in a cold cell so he could hardly sleep. And after a certain amount of time of him not breaking and giving him, giving the, 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 the captives, or giving the captors the names of the people in his congregation, they began to put rats into his cell with him uh, through, through a pipe in the floor. And those rats were ravenous. And they would, when he dozed off to sleep, they'd attack him. But he wouldn't break. He wouldn't break. Until they brought in his 16-year-old son. And a father who'd been deprived of sleep, of food, who'd been tortured. He looked at his son through tears and just streaming down his face. He said, I can't. He said, son, I can't. 
that boy, 16 years old, looked at his father with eyes aflame and said, Dad, he said, don't do me the dishonor of having a father that is a traitor to my Savior. That boy gave his life that day for Christ. Father was broken of heart, but never broke to those men who tried to torture him for his faith. See, you say, Pastor, those are, those are tough stories. They are. What amazes me is we're not willing to take a stand while we don't even face that kind of persecution. I mean, folks, let's be honest. How many of us are threatened with death today for standing for Christ? How many of us are threatened with death for, for, for raising our children in a godly manner? How many of us are threatened with death for, for standing for Christ? None of us are. Oh, we might suffer a little persecution. We might suffer some people making fun of us. We might suffer a rough time. Some people might try to hurt us and take advantage. But none of us are faced with that type of persecution, yet where are they? Where are they? Are we standing? And folks, this morning, I just want to challenge you as we finish up to stand for Christ, to stand for truth. And let's stand for the role for the position, for the calling that God has brought to our lives. You see, only one of those three stories was about a pastor. The other two were about people that we would call parishioners or a part of the congregation. Folks, today, we need to stand. Those are three things from the life of Pilate that are worth standing for. Someday when Pilate stands in front of God Almighty, God, I believe, will look at him and will ask him the same questions. He will say, what did you do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? He'll say, Pilate, what is truth? And in my mind, I don't know this, but I believe there will be a basin on one side. And I think God will look at Pilate and say, Pilate, do you want to wash your hands again? You see, this morning, what are you standing for? An old saying says, if you're not standing for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, folks, let's start standing for truth. Let's stand for Christ. And let's stand for what God has called us to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet. In a moment, the instruments will begin to play, and I just I want to ask you a few questions. Number one, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, man, what are you waiting on? It's the greatest decision anybody can ever make is to accept Christ personally. I beg you during the invitation, if you need to get that taken care of, just slip down to the front. I'll have someone who knows the Bible well show you how you can be born again. Christian, let me ask you this. Are you standing? Are you standing? You say, Pastor, I'm standing on the inside. But we need some people to stand on the outside. You see, this, this thing we call Christianity, 
I don't want to leave it in the church. Man, I want to take it to a world. Are you standing? As the instruments begin to play, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, you come to the altar. about it, friend. Are you here without Christ?